Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, butter my biscuits and call me a jackrabbit. Y'all ready for another round of terror? Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fine horror stories here on Old Montana Cowboy Podcast. I'm your host, Merle, and I'm fixing to spin some spine. Chilling yarns about park rangers, campers, and the deep dark woods that'll make your knees knock like a rickety old port swing. We had just arrived in camp at Odell Lake and got set up for a four-day fishing trip. Started a fire to drive off the mosquitoes and started hearing a loud, echoing call, kind of a howl and a scream mixed together that lasted about five seconds per call. It seemed to be coming from above the railroad tracks that run along the west end of the lake. This went on for about 15 minutes. Then I could hear a camper somewhere in camp screaming, Shut up! Shut up! But it didn't, and went on for another 20 minutes or so. The next morning, my 13-year-old son woke up before the rest of us and went out to start a fire at about 4 a.m. before going fishing. 
Later that day, he told us he had heard the calls again while starting the fire and followed by a pounding on a tree sound. And another call in another location, and then it stopped and we didn't hear it again the rest of our time there. As I made my way deeper into the dense forest, I began to hear the faint sounds of rustling leaves and branches snapping in the distance. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. I took out my flashlight and shone it around the trees, but I couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. Suddenly, I heard a blood-curdling scream coming from deeper in the forest. I ran towards the sound, my heart pounding in my chest. As I approached, I saw something that made me stop dead in my tracks. In front of me was a creature unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was around six feet tall, with long, spindly arms and legs, and a body covered in dark, matted fur. Its face was twisted in a snarl, revealing rows of razor-sharp teeth. I froze, not knowing what to do. The creature let out another ear, piercing scream, and began to advance towards me. I fumbled for my radio, but it was dead. I realized I was on my own. I tried to back away slowly, but the creature was too fast. It lunged at me, and I felt its sharp claws tear into my flesh. I stumbled backwards, falling to the ground. I could feel my strength leaving me as the creature began to circle me, ready to strike again. Just when I thought it was all over, I heard the sound of a shotgun blast. The creature let out a deafening roar and ran off into the woods. I looked up to see a group of rangers approaching, led by my friend and fellow ranger, Jack. Are you okay? Jack asked, rushing over to me. I nodded weakly, feeling the pain in my wound. What was that thing? I asked, still in shock. Jack shook his head. I don't know, but we've been getting reports of strange sightings like this for months now. It's like something's out there lurking in the shadows. I knew that this wasn't the last I would see of the creature. But for now, I was grateful to be alive and to have friends I could count on in times of danger. As they helped me to my feet and began to make my way back to safety, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets the forest held waiting to be discovered. I remember it like it was yesterday. The excitement, the camaraderie, and the anticipation of exploring uncharted territories with my fellow campers and park rangers. The dense forest of the remote national park was a mystery waiting to be unraveled. I had no idea that our innocent curiosity would soon be met with a terror beyond our wildest imaginations. It was the third day of our week, long expedition when we stumbled upon a hidden clearing surrounded by towering trees that seemed to whisper secrets in the wind. At the center of the clearing lay a circular mound of earth decorated with peculiar symbols and artifacts. We should have known better, but our fascination and ignorance got the best of us and we carelessly disturbed the ancient Native American burial site. That night, as the moon cast a silver glow over our campsite, an unsettling feeling crept up my spine. It was as if the very air had become thick with dread. We were no longer alone. Unbeknownst to us, we had awakened the spirit of a shape-shifting predator. The skinwalk, whispers of fear, spread through our group, 
as we began to notice strange occurrences around us. Shadows that seemed to move on their own, eerie cries echoing through the night, and the feeling of being watched by unseen eyes. We knew we had to do something, but none of us were prepared for the horror that awaited us. As the skinwalker stalked us, we delved deeper into the mysteries of the burial site, desperately seeking answers. We learned about the ancient tribal lore, which spoke of powerful rituals and incantations that could stop the skinwalker. The fragility of our human lives became evident as we struggled to make sense of the supernatural force that haunted us. Determined to put an end to the terror, we found a local Native American elder who shared our plight. She was hesitant at first, but agreed to teach us a ritual that could send the skinwalker back to the spirit world. The ritual required each of us to confront our deepest fears and offer a token of respect to the ancestral spirits. The elder warned us that failure to show reverence could seal our fate forever. Gathered around the burial site under the light of the full moon, we performed the ritual as the elder instructed. Our hearts pounded, our hands trembled, and our voices shook as we chanted the ancient incantation. In that moment, I understood the power of respecting nature and the strength of the spirits that reside within it. As the ritual came to a close, an eerie silence fell over the forest. The haunting presence of the skinwalker vanished and the oppressive weight that had been suffocating us was lifted. We breathed a collective sigh of relief, knowing that we had narrowly escaped the clutches of the malevolent spirit. The rest of our expedition was spent in quiet contemplation as we tread carefully through the wilderness, paying our respects to the land and the spirits that called it home. Our brush with the supernatural had taught us a valuable lesson about the power of ancestral spirits and the importance of respecting the delicate balance of nature. Me and my friend, both teenage girls, we're going toward Creek to reach my brother, 31, who was scheming for us and we were screaming back at him. He had a flashlight. We didn't. Me and my friend came to a fence. We crossed at the lower part. We heard footsteps of one two-legged being and the brush moving 15, 20 feet beyond. There was a dark bush, which looked like all other dark bushes. We stepped into this bush, but it wasn't a bush. It was furry. We must have stepped on it arm or leg because it started moving uncontrollably and the whole bush started moving and we feel down out of fright and it was furry and we screamed at the top of our lungs and ran toward the nearest light in someone's backyard about five minutes before we approached the furry bush my brother was on the other side of the creek flashing the flashlight in our direction at the same spot he saw a tall animal about seven feet tall and he described it as having large yellow eyes reflecting and blinking at him from the flashlight in the same area, and he ran like hell in the other direction from us because he felt like he was in danger. The furry being seemed to be separating me and my friend from my brother, and we both ended up in different ends of the town. Upon each of our sightings, we stood there in shock for about a minute. It was sitting when we ran into it, and it was standing when my brother saw it. As a park ranger at Mount Rainier National Park, I have spent countless hours exploring the vast expanse of forests. 
meadows and glaciers that make up this majestic landscape. Towering over everything is the imposing Mount Rainier, its snow-capped peak visible for miles around. It is a place of great natural beauty, but also of danger and mystery. One night, I received a call on my radio from a lost camper. He was disoriented and couldn't find his way back to his campsite. I set out to help him, my flashlight guiding me through the darkness. But as I got closer to his location, I began to feel a sense of unease. The woods were unnaturally quiet, and I couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching me. When I finally found the camper, he was sitting in a small clearing, his eyes fixed on something in the distance. I asked him what was wrong, but he didn't answer. I followed his gaze and saw a figure in the darkness, just beyond the tree line. It was tall and thin, with unnaturally long limbs and a distorted face. It moved with an unnatural grace, and I knew that this was no ordinary creature. I grabbed the camper and tried to run, but the creature was faster. It pursued us through the woods, its elongated fingers reaching out to grab us. We stumbled and fell, but somehow managed to stay one step ahead of it. Finally, we reached the safety of my ranger station, but the memory of that night still haunts me. I know that something sinister lurks in the woods of Mount Rainier National Park, and I fear that one day it will come for me again. A close friend of mine, who I trust is telling the truth, recently shared a story with me. I'm a huge skeptic of anything supernatural, but I can't come up with a logical explanation for this one. I'm wondering what you all make of it. A long while back, he was in a car crash. He was not inebriated at the time, and he was the only person in the car. After the crash, he was able to unbuckle the seat belt and get himself out of the car. He immediately went to medical services to get checked out. They got ready to do an x-ray, and when he removed his shirt, he had two bruises in the clear shape of hands. One was on his left shoulder, the other on his right hip. The way they were positioned, it's as if someone grabbed him hard from behind and pulled him into the seat. The marks were so visible that the doctor examining him immediately asked if there was someone else in the car with him, because he was convinced they were made by someone grabbing him from behind. At the time, my friend was very religious and explained it as a religious miracle, saving him in that crash. Since then, he's been disillusioned from the church, but still cites this as one of his primary pieces of evidence that something supernatural could be out there. But he has an open mind. I got his permission to post this, and he's curious what you have to offer as a possible explanation. Any ideas? As a park ranger, I have seen my fair share of forest fires, both natural and man-made. But the one I stumbled upon that fateful day was different. It was more intense, more intentional, and it had a message behind it. As I made my way through the smoldering woods, I couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. That's when I saw them, a group of Native Americans standing amidst the flames, their faces painted with anger and sorrow. I approached them cautiously, my hand on my gun, ready for anything, but they didn't attack. Instead, their leader stepped forward, a tall man with piercing brown eyes. He spoke in a language I didn't understand, but I could sense the passion in his voice. 
He gestured towards the burning trees and the scorched earth, then back at me as if blaming me for what had happened. I tried to explain that I was just a park ranger, that I had nothing to do with the destruction of their sacred land. But he didn't seem to believe me. He told me that they had been fighting against the development of this area for years, but no one listened. And now they had taken matters into their own hands. I felt helpless, caught in the middle of a conflict that I had no control over, but I knew I had to do something. I contacted my superiors and told them about the situation, hoping they could negotiate a peace agreement, but they were more interested in arresting the Native Americans for arson than finding a solution. That's when I decided to take matters into my own hands. I asked the Native American leader to meet me in a neutral location, away from the burning woods. There we had a long conversation, discussing our differences and trying to find common ground. It wasn't easy, but eventually we came up with a compromise. The government would designate a portion of the land as a protected area where the Native Americans could practice their traditions and rituals without interference. In exchange, they would help us with the reforestation efforts and keep the area safe from future fires. It wasn't a perfect solution, but it was a start. As I watched the firefighters put out the flames and the Native Americans perform their healing ceremonies, I knew that we had achieved something truly special. We had managed to bridge the gap between two cultures and find a way to coexist peacefully. As a park ranger, I had always seen my job as protecting the wilderness and its inhabitants, but that day I realized that my role was much more than that. It was about bringing people together. This is a difficult thing for me to write down on paper. I had no idea what a cryptid was until my son told me about his encounter just before it aired on your show. All these years I have thought that what I had seen was just a very deformed bear. Just so you know, I was driving that night and I never drink and drive. I was 100% sober. I haven't even talked about my encounter since it happened, until I told my son. Since then, I have told my best friend. She encouraged me to contact you after we listened to my son's episode together. Most evenings, just about an hour before dark, some of us enjoyed going for deer rides. We had a route we would always use. It started out on Rustic Road, which was southwest of our cabin on Long Lake, just south of Danbury, Wisconsin. The route took us to a place that went through a wildlife preserve, and then we ended up on the road that goes from Hinckley, Minnesota to Danbury, Wisconsin. The road through the preserve always made me uncomfortable because it was a swampy bog on both sides of the road. It was a narrow gravel road, and in order to turn around, you would need to go down a very narrow drive to a parking area for hunters. I had only been one of those parking areas once, and it creeped me out. We never saw deer on that road, so we typically went fast in that area. We would have avoided that gravel road altogether, but we always saw deer just before the preserve and just after. On this evening, it was just my... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sister-in-law and I that went on the deer ride. This happened 15 or 16 years ago, so we did not have cell phones. Sometimes we would take cameras to take pictures of deer. This night, we didn't have a camera with us. It was a hot night and we had our windows down because the air conditioner wasn't working. I was driving a large car. A 1998 Cadillac. We had just started down that creepy road when we noticed something black on the road. About a one half a mile ahead of us, we were driving pretty fast. As we got closer, it appeared to be dark gray in color. It also appeared to have an elongated muzzle. It had its back to us, but it was a little sideways, so we could tell it was eating something in the road. I stopped the car and just kept my foot on the brake. This animal had very wide muscular shoulders, and its fur was longer than a bear's. Its ears were pointy, like a German shepherd's, and stood straight up on top of its head. This animal had hands. It was holding a dead rabbit, I think. I was talking to Amy, I said. What is that? I think I was verbalizing every thought that came into my head. I was totally freaked out. The animal noticed this. It started to turn its head. That's when I turned on my headlights. It wasn't dark yet, but I wanted to see this thing better. It turned and faced my car. The headlights caught its eyes. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Its eyes glowed reddish-orange in the headlights. I freaked. To me, this creature was demonic in nature. Then it stood up straight on its back legs. As this thing moved, it was jerky, like it wasn't comfortable in its own skin. It was not a natural movement. The animal sprinted at my car. It took at least six steps. I gunned my car right at it. I was in a panic. I was terrified. It turned right, still upright, then dropped to all fours. Its legs had an odd bend in them, like backward knees. I just screamed. What is that? It ran into the swamp, and I got the hell out of there. We stopped on the road to our cabin. By then it was dark. When we stopped, Amy and I both cried. We couldn't stop shaking. We talked about what we had just seen. We both agreed we would tell people we had seen a bear. To be honest, at that time I honestly thought it was a deformed bear. Today I know it was not. I am no longer in denial. What I saw, I cannot understand or explain. It was just plain evil in nature. So wrong. Very wrong. In the early 1990s, Bob drove up the M62 to Manchester, where he was due to perform a comedy routine as part of a cabaret show. As usual, Bob's performance was very warmly received by the audience, and in appreciation, he decided to go back on stage for a further 20 minutes. 
While he was performing his additional material, he noticed a beautiful-looking woman of about 25 or 30 years of age sitting at a table. She was smiling at Bob, and she reminded him of the 70s film actress, Farrah Fawcett Majors. After he had finished his comedy act and had basked in the audience's enthusiastic applause, Bob went backstage and changed. Then the manager of the club escorted him to a specially reserved table for a meal and a drink. Just before the next performer took to the stage, Bob made his way over to the table where the woman was sitting alone and asked her if she would care to join him. The woman smiled and accepted without any hesitation. She was very tall and looked even more attractive at closer quarters. She had sapphire blue eyes and long blonde hair. In a soft voice, she said, My name's Danielle. Her accent was not a local one, but was difficult to place. Bob ordered champagne and was soon flirting with Danielle. The woman, however, refused the champagne and preferred to sip mineral water. There was a stay behind at the club, and it was not long before Bob and Danielle were dancing slowly, tightly embracing each other. He learned that the reason Danielle was on her own was that her boyfriend had arranged to meet her at the club, but had not turned up for some reason. She told him that she lived in St. Helens, and Bob said that, as she had not been drinking, she could drive him home to Merseyside in his car. Danielle was not keen, and instead preferred that Bob stay overnight at her home until he was fit enough to drive in the morning. At 3 a.m., Bob and Danielle left the club in Manchester and walked through the chilly night air towards the club car park. Danielle shivered in her sleeveless top, so Bob gave her his leather jacket. Danielle had to strap Bob's seatbelt on for him because he was so intoxicated. Minutes later, the couple embarked on the return journey down the M62. During the journey, Bob fumbled for the controls of the car radio, but Danielle's hand intercepted his, and so the couple sat in silence as the car sped along the motorway. Suddenly, stirring from his alcohol-induced doze, Bob turned to look at Danielle and saw something that still gives him nightmares to this day. The girl's beautiful features had contorted into what can only be described as a demonic scowl. Her head swiveled towards him, and her eyes turned blood red, and her mouth opened wide. Mm. Twice as wide as a normal mouth, to reveal a fearsome array of pointed teeth. The comedian instantly became sober, but felt faint and breathless with the shock. The girl sitting in the driving seat of his car must be some sort of supernatural entity and was driving him goodness knows where. As if it was able to read his mind, the thing in the driving seat screamed with manic laughter and zigzagged between the lanes of the motorway. Bob was not a religious man, but he suddenly found himself imploring, Jesus, please save me. The car screeched into a 180-degree turn and slid off the hard shoulder onto a slip road, then veered into a ditch. Bob opened the door and tried to get out, but in his blind panic he forgot to unclick his seatbelt. He cried out desperately for help and looked back in terror at the seat beside him. It was empty, except for his leather jacket. There was no trace of the fiend who had been masquerading as a woman. The police found Bob wandering along the hard shoulder of the M62, and he gabbled out his bizarre tale, but was not believed. The police checked the club, and the management confirmed that Bob had left with a woman, and that she had driven him home.
Not one person at the club had any idea who Daniel was. Bob was badly shaken by the spine-chilling incident and has never appeared at the Manchester Club since. Last summer I got a job as a custodian at my former school. Having been established in the 1800s, the current building having been built in roughly the 1910s, you see some strange things working at night and even early morning. Within my first week, I spotted a shadow with white eyes hovering in the corner above the band room. I nicknamed him the Watcher because you can occasionally feel him in the room watching. He does not like to be spotted, though. When I caught sight of him that day, I could feel that he was not happy about it, so I, of course, walked away. I have other paranormal and similar stories working where I do, including shadows roaming the halls at night, orbs of light, and others that need background to explain. At an early age, both me and my brother started seeing ghosts or things we couldn't explain, but when I was in middle school, things started to get a little weirder. One night I woke up and couldn't fall back to sleep, so as I laid on my back, staring at the dimly lit ceiling from my nightlight, I felt my stomach turn and I looked out my bedroom door. My door was always open and I could see partially into my parents' bedroom, and I thought one of my parents were coming out of their room, but it was a tall six-seven-foot man with a brown jacket and brimmed hat. He walked straight towards me. Well, it was more like gliding, but I put my head under my covers and screamed for my parents. The light came on, and they asked me what happened, but when I told them, they chalked it up to being a nightmare. Well, this happened about four or five more times, and my mom started to believe me, but my dad wasn't really convinced that the brown jacket man was real. When I started high school, my dad had put two additions on our house, a huge back room and an entire second floor. Me and my brother shared the second floor during high school. The main big room was our bedroom, and we had a walk. The in-closet bathroom, it was here where we had the scariest encounter of our lives. Our beds sat about four or five feet off the floor, and our room at night glowed a dark blue from our ceiling fans, blue light. And one night, I was lying there trying to sleep when I heard the voice of a man, but it sounded sped up and playing backwards. I had heard this before with other encounters in our home, but it was coming from our closet bathroom. And that's when I heard my brother say, Dude, do you hear that? I was so relived that he was awake, but I couldn't believe he heard it too. So I replied the voice that sounds like it's talking backwards. Yeah, I hear it. We both sat up in our beds and the voice kept talking. We started to hear footsteps with the voice, which was now pacing back and forth. Then the door handle started freaking out. I'm getting chills just typing and rethinking about this. So I leaned over my bed rail so I could see the door handle so I could see the door handle shaking. My brother looked as if he was gonna jump out of his bed and run down the damn stairs. But then the door opened and I instantly said, What do you see? because the way my brother's bed was positioned, he could see right into the closet. But he said he saw nothing in the doorway and then slammed. Mm -hmm. The door whipped shut and he jumped out of bed and turned on the lights. We finally got our courage up and opened the door and checked both the closet and bathroom, but nothing was in there and the voice had ceased. 
We thought maybe it was one of our cats, but nothing was in there, and the windows were shut, too. I got back in my bed, and my brother stood next to me, and we talked about what the hell just happened, when suddenly I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. I was looking at my brother, but he noticed it, too, because we both turned to look at the same time, and this white cloud-looking thing shot under our futon, and we both froze. We looked under the futon, but once again, nothing. We stayed up for a couple hours that night discussing what happened, and we still discuss it to this day. As time went on, the door handle would occasionally flip out again, and the door would open and slam. Some of my friends witnessed this as well, and me and my brother saw the hat man a couple times in the early morning, standing in the middle of our room. My dad would tell us, why would there be ghosts upstairs? I just built it. Why would it be haunted? My mom... However, finally believed us one day as I stayed home sick from school. We were watching a movie in the family room, which was right under me in my brother's bedroom, and we heard the closet door fly open upstairs and something ran across the room and then ran back to the closet and it slammed closed. My mom turned her head to me and she freaked out. We F was that she said, and I just replied with C. I told you. Other things were often heard too. I would often hear a little girl laughing or talking. She would even say my name from time to time. One time she whispered I into my ear as I was laying in my bed one morning. My brother and I had a theory that ghosts were connected to this old baseball bat that was found in my parents' closet when they first moved in the house. It was a dark red wooden bat that had the year 1901 on it. We still had the bat, but my brother since sanded it down and made it smooth, which I did not agree with, but he did it anyway. We moved out of the house in the late 2000s, but the hat man followed, and so did some activity. No reverse talking ghosts, though. Sometimes I thought of ringing the doorbell and asking the new family that lives there if they have experienced anything. The last time I saw the hat man was a few years ago, maybe 2012 or 2013. I was experimenting with lucid dreaming astral travel. And one night I awoke with sleep paralysis, and sometimes... I wouldn't see anything during sleep paralysis, and other times I would see shadow people or a black thing sitting on my chest, but this time the hat man was at the foot of my bed, and he had two children with him, one at each side. Both of these kids looked old-timey. They were dressed as if they wee from the early 1900s. One was a boy maybe around the age of 10, 12, and he had an old-looking suit on, and the other was a little girl in a white dress. She was probably six, seven years old. And I instantly thought that's the girl that said hi, and then they vanished. I had been working as a park ranger for many years, and had always heard rumors about the mysterious creature known as Bigfoot. Most dismissed it as a myth. But there were enough sightings over the years to make me curious. One night, while on patrol, I saw something moving in the distance. I approached cautiously, my flashlight shining on a huge, hairy creature standing over eight feet tall. It was Bigfoot. I couldn't believe it. The creature that had been the subject of countless legends was standing right in front of me. And it was angry. It charged at me and... I instinctively pulled out my knife, ready to defend myself. The creature was strong, but I was fast and managed to dodge its attacks. 
I swung my knife with all my strength and landed a hit on its chest. It roared in pain, but didn't back down. We battled for what seemed like an eternity, until finally I landed a fatal blow. Bigfoot stumbled back, and I watched as it collapsed onto the ground, motionless. I was both scared and amazed at what I had accomplished, but my victory was short-lived. As I made my way back to the station, I noticed that something wasn't right. I was injured, and the wounds were getting worse by the minute. I knew that Bigfoot had hurt me more than I realized. I stumbled through the woods, trying to make it back to the station, but it was too late. I collapsed on the ground, my strength fading away. I could hear the sound of my colleagues' voices in the distance, but it was too late. The injuries were too severe, and I knew that I was going to die. As I lay there, I thought about my life and all the things I had accomplished. I had always loved my job and felt honored to protect the park and all its inhabitants, but I never imagined that my encounter with Bigfoot would be my downfall. In the end, I died alone in the woods, a victim of a creature that most people didn't even believe existed. But I knew the truth, and I hoped that my story would serve as a warning to others who dared to venture into the unknown. The park could be a beautiful and peaceful place, but it was also full of danger, and sometimes that danger could be too much to handle.